I'm Peggy. I'm reading from the book of John, chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is the word of our Lord. Good morning, Redemption Tucson. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm glad we can be together to worship this way uh, this morning. And um, we're going to be in, uh, uh, in John this morning, in John chapter 7, verses 1 through 39. So I want to invite you to go ahead and turn uh, with me there in the, in the, in the Word, and, and we'll be getting into it here pretty soon. If you're new or you've never heard me preach before, I, I want to let you know I stutter and that'll kind of come in and out as I preach, but I want to make sure that you know what that, what that is. And um, I also have a couple of other things to let you know about. If you recall at the beginning of January, um, we did a, a short video explaining that we were going back to online only for uh, at least through January. And I just want to what you know that we're going to um, remain online only for now. And we feel good that the time is short where we'll be in this, in this place and we're excited. Um, but for now, we're just going to keep it going um, and be in kind of a week to week basis. So we will let you know, all right? Once we know, uh, we're going to be um, opening up the doors in that sense to come back in person in some way. And, 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 just, and also, I want to say, I don't have any details or any news, but um, continue praying for our location. Uh, we are in a lot of conversations. We have a couple potential inroads, but as of now, the main thing, and, and we as elders and as pastors are, are praying and want to invite you and encourage you again to be praying alongside us. We, we believe the Lord uh, has something significant in store, and, uh, and we just, again, want to ask you to continue praying alongside us in that way. Now, also, let me say something about next week. Uh, as you know, it's Super Bowl Sunday, right? Well, the real Super Bowl is going to be going on at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. And, and what that is, actually, we're going to get to hear from Pastor Marcus. He's going to preach uh, his first sermon with us as Redemption Tucson. And um, we're actually going to pause in, in John that week, and, and he's going to share his story. He's going to preach. Um, and in that, he's going to share his story, uh, which is remarkable. And God, is, his goodness is on display and the, the reality of the, the power of the gospel. And, and I've been uh, deeply moved and blessed um, as I've gotten to hear some of his story. And I'm really excited for that. I would even encourage you to invite others, friends, and f family to to tune in. Um, it will be a significant, significant time for us. And then we'll, we'll be back in John uh, the week after. So again, next, uh, next Sunday at 10 a.m., Super Bowl Sunday, February 7th, uh, we get to hear from Pastor Marcus. And so very excited for that. But again, this morning we are in John chapter 7, and uh, I'm, I'm expectant for what God has in store for us. So will you go ahead and pray with me as we get into our time together? Heavenly Father, we, we come before you as your people all throughout Tucson. I know I have dear friends in Chico, California, and in New York, and some others who have been tuning in. I know uh, Forrest in 
Texas and some friends in Guatemala through our partnership there with Champions in Action. Um, Lord, we are blessed and humbled to be called your people. I'm humbled to preach your word this morning. And, and I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that uh, the, 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 the thoughts of my mind and my heart and the words of my mouth will be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And I pray that as Marcus said earlier, you will prepare our hearts to receive the good news of Jesus through your word. In his name we pray, Amen. How do you feel about m mirrors? Um, I have a kind of a love-hate relationship with them. It depends on the, m m on the m mirror. A few nights ago, I was uh, tucking two of my girls in at night and I was walking out the door and I kind of caught my reflection in a mirror that they have set up and I, and I stopped and was like, whoa, I look tall in that mirror. Like, I love this mirror. My uh, daughter actually offered it to me. She saw how encouraged I was and was like, hey, do you want the mirror? And um, I, I've also noticed when shopping at Target, it's like a fun house in there. Like depending on the angle, I don't know if they do that on purpose. Like that angle, I'm like, oh man, I don't like this outfit and, and I need to go buy more clothes to help me feel better about myself. And then other are like, oh, that's, that's great. That looks, looks so good, right? And you've seen different mirrors that, that make you look a different way. Well, I don't know how you feel in general about mirrors, but John, the author of this book, is, is intentionally walking through the life and ministry of Jesus in such a way that's holding up a mirror for us. The big question all throughout is, do you believe in Jesus? Will you believe in Jesus? And then he's holding up a mirror as we see Jesus's own family, as we see some of Jesus's followers, as we see religious authorities and the crowds even. John is holding up a mirror and each of those different people and groups interacting with Christ are to reflect us in some way, are to reveal to us something about ourselves where they doubt Jesus, where they try to manipulate Jesus and force him into a particular agenda, whatever it might be, um, that's a mirror held up to invite us to consider, are, are we the same? Are we doing that? Does our belief in Jesus look more like intellectual knowledge, but on a heart level, on a functional level, we don't really believe him in the way that John talks about. That's all in kind of trust. Okay. So I want to ask us all that question. Do you believe in Jesus? Whether you consider yourself a Christian, a follower of Christ or not on some level, where do you not believe? All right. So that's kind of the backdrop and the, the, the question is we now get into our time. So let me pick up in John chapter seven, verse one, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews feast of booths was at hand. So the feast of booths or the festival of booths, of booths. Uh, let me explain what that is um, briefly. All right. Think um, like Pamplona, Spain. All right, the running of the bulls or um, New, New Orleans, all right, with Mardi Gras or Times Square, New York, right? New Year's 
or Chicago or Boston on St. Patrick's Day or right here in our town of Tucson in the All Souls procession, right? With the Day of the Dead. There, there, was, there was a lot of, of, of stuff going on. There were all kinds of symbols and, and, and feelings and tastes and images, all kinds of stuff that tied into um, life and the culture of those people. And so this would have been um, a, a few, um, it would last for, for seven days. It was about five days after the Jewish New Year, Yom Kippur. And, and it was, uh, it, it meant, it was, it was mostly the time of, during their, their harvest, where they would remember God's provision and they would look back and they would remember how God provided for his people as they wandered through the desert, how they were thirsty and he provided water out of a rock. But then over the years, especially at this time under Roman rule, they, they, um, there was a political, and I'll use this word, eschatological, which is like end times. There was an element there too, where they remembered things like from Zechariah and Isaiah, which talk about um, God, God overflowing like waters and what is to come and how that will bless God's people. And so as they're under like Roman rule, under the thumb of Roman oppression, there's this anticipation and expectation for what's to come. Okay. So that's some of the backdrop there. Now keep picking up with me here in, um, in verse, in verse three. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing for no one works in secret. If he seeks to be, um, sorry for no one. Yeah. Uh, for no one works in secret. If he seeks to be known openly, if you do these things, show yourself to the world. So there's an element here where his brothers, right? His actual biological brothers and his closest followers are kind of challenging him. And there's all kinds of um, per ideas of why they're doing this, but they're basically kind of calling Jesus out and they're saying, if you want to go and really um, have, have, a, have a crowd, right? Because we just learned last week, the crowds left Jesus weren't interested in what he was doing because he was unwavering. He wouldn't be manipulated by the crowds. He wouldn't pander to them. And let's just be honest. Um, isn't it easier to follow Jesus when he's popular? Right. And that's what his brothers in part are seeing. Wow. It's he's becoming less popular. Maybe we should um, have him do some tricks again and bring the crowds back. Cause that's easier for us. And they might've even been challenging him and thinking, Hey, you've got all these kind of unintelligent, like farmers and f fishermen who believe in you. Why don't you go down to Judea and really get challenged? And then we'll see. And verse five explains why. That is for not even his brothers believed in him. Okay. They, they're lacking belief in the crowds, his own family. We've seen it all throughout constantly. People have an agenda for Jesus. Go do this, go do that. We're going to force you into it. But Jesus refuses to do that, right? He says, no, I'm not going. So they all left without him and he stayed. But then he actually does end up eventually going um, now we see in, in verse, in verse 14 about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching the Jews and they marveled saying, how is it that this man has learning 
when he has never studied. Okay. So, so they're, they're basically saying like, where's your, where's your diploma? Where did you go to school? Like it's impressive. You know, a lot, but they were profiling Jesus, right? They were, they were judging him. They had a particular idea of who offered, um, who had the authority, which I, I love this. We saw it all throughout that word. Authority is like author. It's who, who has the authority. And, and we see throughout other gospel accounts that Jesus has the authority. And that word is used as though he's the, he's the author. He, he has authority because all knowledge and all wisdom comes from him, but people aren't seeing him as he is. And Jesus responds to them. It's like, you, you don't know me and you don't know the father. God, who I think you represent, you have no authority. Jesus is saying, you don't know him because don't flipped a different way. If you knew him, you would know me. And if you want to know him, then get to know me. This is what RC Sproul says about this. The Jewish leaders asked him, where did you get your degree? And Jesus replied, I brought it with me from heaven. I don't teach anything on my own, but my doctrine comes from the father. If you want to do the will of God, you should hear my voice and listen to me. And again, Jesus is unwavering. He doesn't pander. He doesn't, he doesn't go to, Oh, let me, um, let me do what you're asking me right now. He simply calls out and reveals our lack of belief. Okay. There's something that we see all throughout Jesus's ministry. And even right here, he continues to care. He continues to be committed to the mission he's on. He continues to submit to the will of the father. He continues to have a boldness and a humility that go hand in hand. And that we often think those go one or the other, right? There's this, this saying that we've kind of adopted all throughout redemption church. And it's that we are committed to doing the Lord's work, the Lord's way. All right. What that means is the ends never justify the means, Okay, we see that in Jesus, that if the end goal is Jesus being glorified, it's not just, oh, well, as long as he's glorified, as long as he deals with sin, then whatever he does in the meantime doesn't really matter. As long as the end result, as long as the bottom line all works out. Well, that's not what we see in Jesus. All right, we see Jesus constantly committed to, no, glory comes through submission. Glory comes through death. Glory comes through um, self-sacrifice. Okay, and so for us, we, as we want to truly follow Jesus, we understand that we continue to see how he does ministry and we're committed to participating in what he's doing in these ways. And so people are confused, right? He gets challenged, he gets pushed back. People don't like what they're hearing. And again, he remains committed. He turns heads, it's counterintuitive and people are perplexed. Some walk away. Some challenge him and argue with him. Verse 31, some actually believe. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, he will do more signs than this man. Or no, I'm sorry. Will he do more signs than this man has done? All right. There's this, 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 this element of belief. And just as we'll see all throughout John, people believe and then they don't believe. They kind of believe, but there's like an asterisk next to it. And the same is going on right here in verse 31. All right. People marvel at Jesus's authority 
at his wisdom, at his confidence, but it's not full, real, rich belief. All right. And we get a hint at why that's happening. And we'll see that all the way down in verse 39. Okay. That these people believe, but it's not sustainable. It's not life-shaping. In the same way, when John holds that mirror up to us and says, you know, again, do you believe? I think many of us need to recognize, are we like these people in verse 31 who believe with an asterisk, who believe for a season, who would check a box until it's no longer convenient, until our faith is shaken in some way. And again, Jesus isn't isn't, he doesn't stop and be like, oh, great, you, you believe good. Okay, I'm gonna go. No, he continues to press on. He continues to preach his gospel of life through him alone. So now uh, pick up with me all the way down in verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, Okay, so again, just pause here for a moment, right? Jesus went from, I'm not going to Judea at all to he goes and he's kind of on the outskirts. Then he goes to the temple and he teaches. And then all of a sudden now, this is the last day, right? It even says they're the great day. And look what he does. On the last day, Jesus stood up and cried out. Picture thousands of people. He stands up and cries out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So again, let me set the, set the stage here for a minute. All right, this is, there is there a picture of the temple the temple Mount, this big, massive structure, right? With, and, and, it's, and, it's, um, and as the sun is going down and the temple Mount is lit with all kinds of torches and there's this, it almost looks like it's glowing, okay? It's this like white kind of stone that the sunlight is hitting it in such a way, the torches all around, it's this magnificent, beautiful sight and the people are, are seeing that. And then this ceremony is going on where the high priest, would carry water and would go to the altar. Okay. The place of worship, the place of sacrifice. And there would be a massive urn there. Okay. And, and, and it would be gold. And again, it would be beautiful and it would be full of, of imagery. Again, go back to some of the other events we might associate with, right? Thousands of people, Times Square, right? Right before the ball drops, music is playing, right? We associate different things. Well, right now people are associating this and he would pour, the high priest would pour water into this urn and not just enough, it would be, he would intentionally make a mess. He's dumping water and it's overflowing. And people are remembering Zechariah, the prophecy that would say one day, in the final day, in the last day, when God does his thing, the, the waters will overflow, now, rivers will flow. Okay, there's this, this imagery and people would be excited. And right during that, in that moment, what does Jesus do? He stands up and proclaims, if anyone thirsts, I will quench his thirst. If he believes in me, not just intellectual assent, but fully entrusts himself or herself or themselves to me, out of their hearts will flow rivers of water, no, living water, 
abundant, life-shaping, foundational, thirst-quenching water. Okay, this is Jesus's ministry. This is his proclamation. And he ties this idea of thirst to this idea of belief. Okay, thirst. Okay, let's try to get into these people's shoes for a moment. They're thirsty. Probably physically, many of them, right, have traveled. This whole festival is going on. This ceremony is going on. And this imagery, which I don't even have time to get into too much, but there's so much about worship that God has designed us to to associate and to affiliate our senses with what we're saying and what we're experiencing. And this idea of being thirsty and seeing water overflowing and then remembering their forefathers, Walking through the desert. Have you ever been so thirsty? You long for just a couple drops and you're thinking about that. You're remembering that. And then you see this urn, this overflowing water pouring, some cases even potentially even pouring through the streets. And you're connecting those dots of thirst, longing, wandering. It's physical and it's metaphorical. There's relational thirst. There's, there's, there's political angst. There's a desire. When is this going to be over? And there's a reminder one day, one day God will quench the thirsts of his people. And Jesus stands up and speaks into that. Says, if you thirst, come to me. Jesus is making a bold proclamation that he and he alone is God's provision for all those who will put their hope in him, for all those who will come to Christ, their their thirst will be quenched. So I just want to ask, are you thirsty? All right, there's an aspect in, 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 in believing and trusting in Jesus that is recognizing, realizing your thirst. Right. One guy I heard say this, he said, you don't decide to be thirsty. You realize you're thirsty. Right. I think in, even in how we present the gospel and how we preach, even right now, church, hear me. I, I, I trust that, that God is revealing your thirsts, my thirsts. It's not something that we just decide and come to and, oh yeah, all of a sudden I've worked my way up my way to God. And now I'm going to decide to follow him in this kind of way. But the, what he does through the Holy spirit, he reveals our thirsts. Okay. Look in the, in that, that last verse in verse 39, what is, what does Jesus say right after he stood up and he said, um, right, right. He said, he said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Verse 39. Now this, he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Can we go back to that question? Do you believe in Jesus? Will you believe in Jesus? Belief as John talks about, as the scriptures talk about, is not just an intellectual ascent, right? As we've talked about. It's not just let me get more information and then work my way and understand my way and make a, a pointed decision to just follow Jesus and go, no. It's recognizing your thirst. It's realizing your thirst. It's, it's seeing where, where you fall short, 
where life has fallen short, where you've looked to quench your thirst elsewhere. It's recognizing I've gone this way, I've gone that way, nothing has satisfied me, nothing has fulfilled me. And then all of a sudden seeing Jesus and Jesus alone is the one who can quench my thirst. Okay, let me again, even just connect the dots there. When Jesus hung on the cross, or I believe that this cross is, you can see that there. One of the things Jesus said when he hung on the cross, I thirst. In that moment, the people didn't understand, right? They tried to give him, they, 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 they made fun of him. They tried to give him this wine to maybe numb his pain, all these different things. They mocked him. In that moment, when we talk about the fulfillment, the, the richness of the gospel, when we say Jesus lived the life that you and I were called to live, right? That means that everything he did, he found his fulfillment in the father. Everything he did was for God's glory. Everything he did was for others. Good. He constantly laid himself down. He lived every moment of every day, every thought word and action for his father's glory in perfect. He never sinned. He never strayed. He never did a single thing. Then when he hung on that cross in shame and he said, I thirst, he's identifying with you and me. He's embodying, taking on, experiencing the consequences of the life he never lived. A life that is walking away from God, a life of sin. Though he didn't deserve to thirst, he took on thirst. He hung on the cross and said, I thirst. Do you thirst? Do you wonder if God sees what you're going through? Do you wonder if God recognizes the result of sin that perhaps you've chosen to enter into or that has been piled upon you? You're, you're, you're struggling, you're longing. Jesus identifies, he took it on. And then when he rose victoriously from the dead, he, he, he put on the reality that through him, a thirst forever has been quenched. That, that death and the effects of sin in every way, all the thirsts and hungers and longings that you and I experience and have just accepted to be normal everyday life. Jesus took that on himself and then he fulfilled it. He, he dealt with it. He put it away. He rose from the dead. And that's what right now he says, come to me, give your life to Christ. Give your, put your hope in him. Enter into a relationship with him. Have real, functional, life-shaping belief in him. And through that, you will never thirst again. But people didn't get it. As he said right there, because the spirit had not yet come. But for you and for me, for anyone over the last 2,000 plus years, the spirit has come. The spirit has been sent. Jesus has died on the cross. Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus ascended to the right hand of God, the father. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, the helper to open our eyes, to open our ears, to allow us to see Jesus more clearly, to allow us to recognize our thirst to empower us to come to him, to put our faith in him, to have our thirst ultimately quenched in him. What's he doing right now in this moment? I believe that taking notes is good and helpful. 
that understanding, having aha moments where we, 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 we write stuff down and we read the scripture and we circle things. No, no, that's good and helpful. But sometimes it's good to put that away. Okay, Martin Lloyd-Jones, famous English preacher would ask people not to take notes because he said during the preaching of God's word through the Holy Spirit, there is what he called a hostile takeover of the heart. The Holy Spirit, working. Is he working right now? Christian, have you had a confessional belief in Jesus that even throughout this last week or perhaps even longer has not been evident of a real functional belief where you understand, where your life reflects that your thirst is only ultimately quenched in Jesus? If you're not a Christian, is the Holy Spirit working on your heart right now? Are your eyes being opened? Are you recognizing through the Holy Spirit, stirring you, drawing you to Christ, hearing his call to come to him, to have life, abundant life, to have your thirst, that out of you for all eternity, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. Do you believe? How do you respond to the good news of Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit and what he's doing right now? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, um, again, thank you for, for your word. Lord Jesus, thank you for um, all of your work. Thank you for, for entering into our pain and experiencing our pain. Lord Jesus, thank you for thirsting. Thank you for knowing what it's like to be tempted and yet, unlike each of us, you never sinned, but you took on our sin. You endured the penalty, the shame, the relational brokenness. And then when you rose from the dead, you put it all to an end. And then now you invite us through the Holy Spirit to enter into life, eternal life through faith in you. Lord, lead us now in our time of response. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.